1: welcome this is hashtag gen z a podcast that explores generation z who they are how they're different from other generations while also being an incredible blend of those who came before them we explore what they think is cool what moves them and why they do what they do i'm your host megan grace it's so nice to have you here before we get into the fun i want to thank you for your patience between episodes If I haven't shared yet, I'm writing a book, actually two books, with Corey, um, and we're in the process of really knocking that out with a lot of publisher deadlines. Um, Those are no joke. Uh, We love our publishers, but they are certainly keeping us busy right now. Uh, So I appreciate your flexibility and getting new episodes out, and don't worry, there's more on the horizon. There's more great content coming, new episodes, new interviews. So far this season, we've looked at some high-level insights that are shaping Gen Z as they're entering and engaging in the workforce. Corey and I shared more about the insights we've garnered from our studies on what Gen Z is looking for in work, and my friend Sophie Wade, a workforce innovation specialist, shared about how Gen Z is at the forefront of evolving workplace settings and how work is being done. But now we're going to connect with some Gen Z professionals to share about their career journey and perspectives. We'll first start with how Gen Z is structuring their work. So imagine this, you log on for work on your laptop and you go about your usual business. Except for that day, you happen to be working from Lisbon. And maybe next week, you might be working from a lovely town in south of France. In a month, you're going to move over and, and head into Southeast Asia. No, you aren't a travel agent exploring your new options for clients. Well, that would be pretty cool. This is the digital nomad lifestyle. Working remotely, choosing to live and work wherever in the world you would like. And that place might change. The digital nomad lifestyle is not just working remotely from your home, which many of us do, but your home changes from city, state, country, and continent as you travel and still get work done. Not surprising, the number of professionals who are structuring their work in this fashion has been amplified by the pandemic, when many realize they can tune in from work from just about anywhere. This isn't just for the self-employed or the independent employee either. A study from MBO partners found that from 2019 to 2021, the number of traditional employees in the United States who are digital nomads grew from 3.2 million to 10.2 million. MBO partners found that the digital nomad professional population, Gen Z makes up about 21% of those who are working remotely while exploring the globe. And there's some benefits to the digital nomad lifestyle that clearly align with Gen Z's work preferences, such as high levels of work satisfaction, income satisfaction, and obviously, flexibility. In this episode, I'm joined by Harrison Lee, a startup founder who serves as the CEO of Riff, a virtual business partner for creators, as well as a co-CEO for Free Artist, a peer-to-peer financing platform for creatives. I was connected with Harrison through our good friend and past episode guest, Andrew Roth, while they were both working remotely from Lisbon, Portugal. Those two, I tell you. Harrison has been working and exploring the world for a few years now, so I'm excited to share more about his story.
0: You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.
1: Well, I'm so excited for this episode. I mean, I'm excited about every guest, but it's always fun when a past Guest connects me with a future guest, and that's exactly what happened. If you remember our friend Andrew Roth from um, last season and season two, um, he's connecting me with a friend that he's met on the road. And so, Harrison, it's so wonderful to have you here. Where are you? Welcome, and where are you calling in from today?
2: Great, Th- thanks for having me. Uh, I'm calling from Toronto, I just got back from Lisbon, so uh, yeah, I, I guess this is perfect for me because digital nomad, um. <laughs> I just got back, so
1: Yeah, bouncing yeah, yeah, around, bouncing around. <laughs> Is Toronto home or just a stop right yeah.
2: now? Toronto's, yeah, Toronto's home. home. So it's uh so good. Um I think one thing you appreciate as a nomad is like uh free food. Um and also like the <laughs> yeah. making of food. Um yep. you gotta go home and like it's all prepared for you and you get to be mm-hmm. a child again. Mm-hmm. And it's probably one of the best things. Um yeah, you definitely need like a home respite every so often. I think
1: Oh yeah, I I mean yeah. I um I live 25 minutes from my parents' house, but I still mm. love just, there's nothing that beats going to somebody else's house where they make you food, right? Mm. Um, but mm. we're not talking about our parents cooking for us in this episode. <laughs> we're we're diving kind of into this like digital nomad life. And that's where you are in this phase of work, career, living, which we're going to get into. But tell us a little bit about your story. Who are you? What are you kind of doing for work? What's your role? And, and a bit about the journey of how you got to what you're doing today, which um, in some ways gives me a lot of jealousy, but um <laughs> who are you? Tell us about you
2: yeah, sure so i uh, I went to business school and I actually started out in kinesiology then I went to business school at uh, in Canada um like a nice preppy, fancy uh, business school um, decided to sell my soul for corporate life um because that was kind of the mentality of a lot of people that I was surrounded with, like uh being consultant investment banker leadership program and like these different places uh and that kind of seemed what the best fit was for me uh and soon thereafter when i started going into um this corporate job i kept on getting in trouble a lot um trying to do things without approval trying to just do things that you know i didn't want to uh take a ton of time so i just kind of did them uh and then uh, i think that was started when i realized that maybe i need to be more of like an entrepreneur uh, because I like to do things and, and just make, um, stuff happen, um, in a less structural way. Uh, and so, yeah. So then I moved to a kind of a smaller company, uh, a startup within the bigger company. And then from there, I had a business idea and I started like pursuing it, um, helping creatives with, uh, uh, grow their audience uh, and their revenue growth using data and using machine learning and all that good stuff. Um, and then got some, uh, started that and, uh, and, and then we were off, I guess I didn't become a digital nomad though, until probably a couple of years ago. So it took me a couple of years to like start until I really actually left my corporate gig. That's kind of when I was like, I can go anywhere. And then COVID happened. And then, but then yeah. And then after COVID, uh, trying to figure out what was the right mentality with traveling was kind of weird uh, because of all the restrictions and uh, you didn't want to make other people sick and all of that stuff. So uh, but yeah, now now I'm in like a full kind of nomad mentality.
1: I love that you were able to kind of get a little bit of flavor, um, in doing some corporate stuff, realizing it wasn't for you. And so many people are like, but I got it. I got to stay because this is what I've been told I need to do. Right. Like, I'm so glad that you were able to find, especially early enough in your career, something that felt right for you because so many people spend so much time trying to like make it or buying their time until they go do the thing they actually want to do. And I, I really love, um, that you were able to have that reflection. I hope other people that are listening are able to say, hmm, that sounds a little bit like me. I can take all those wonderful skills I learned in business school, but I can go do something else. Um, so I I love a good entrepreneurship story. We could probably do a whole chat just about that. But today we're talking about you know how you structure your work and your lifestyle, because for those tuning in, kind of the digital nomad lifestyle is someone that can work pretty much Anywhere from around the world um, and connects remotely, not just like I have a home office, but that your home office changes um, and changes probably frequently. And really, can you? I know that you started to talk about. What was pulling you into that after exploring like maybe corporate life wasn't for you or let's just say going to one single office wasn't for you? Um, what initially drew you to a digital nomad lifestyle and were you thinking that's what you were going to get into or, you know, what was the, the steps towards that?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I mean, I always love exploring a new culture and I think deep down though, I, I want to find a place where I belonged with other people and uh, i just didn't find that uh with the people i surrounded myself in in toronto so i think that's kind of where i pushed myself to 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 go explore and, and find new people uh or different types of people i do think though that like i've seen friends like that they quit without uh financial safety um and that gets very stressful and so a lot of the mentality is like oh if i become a nomad then like you know i'm gonna find this uh i'm gonna eat pray love you know i'm gonna i'm gonna find this wonderful. Um, I hope people know what you love is but i you know like i'm gonna find this wonderful uh spiritual like awakening and I, I think the it's tough to find spiritual awakening when you don't have financial safety like when you're low stretching like as much as you can you know uh, like it's it's not cheap to be a nomad um i, th- I think you can find ways to make it like less cost effective but you know you're moving around so much that like for me like especially with flights You end up paying so much for flights because you're booking it like two weeks in advance right you're trying to be Mm -hmm. as flexible as you can to accommodate for like these different visas so it's not the cheapest thing in the world so lucky enough for us um like i'd I'd saved up like money um so i you know use that to kind of drive drive that part of my life and um making the bet on myself instead of putting it towards a home so it's a specific intentional like thing that you need to do um especially if you don't come from like a, a well, uh, incomeed background.
1: Yeah. I think that's a, a great point of, you know, in general, we can't find higher level meeting and like, the, like you said, that spiritual awakening and this is just basic like Maslow's right. Like, uh, our hierarchy of awakening and enlightenment is only a possible if we have like that foundational basic stuff met and like having money to eat and have a roof over your head is basic foundational stability. And so I think that that is just really interesting because you know, what we're learning in our study of Gen Z is yes, there is this idea of like making a lot of money would be nice, but why we're making a lot of money is not because we want a bunch of lavish stuff. It's We want stability. We want that foundation to be met to take it to the next level of meaning. And so um, I I really love that that's kind of how you framed it. Like it's not just this like loosey-goosey, willy-nilly, I'm out here. Like, yeah, you're exploring the world and you're moving on from next place to next place. But there has to be some intentionality and planning um, to some degree because you still have to finance wherever you're living, um, which is a real thing we can't just apparently live for free. So let's think about Gen Z. And, and I don't mean to put you on the spot and be like, you got to talk for everybody. But when, when we've been starting to study Gen Z in the career and the workplace, one of the things that continually comes up is this idea um, of flexibility. So let's talk a little bit about how the digital nomad lifestyle and structure of work aligns with Gen Z's desires for how they want to structure their work in their life.
2: Yeah, I, I do think post-COVID, th- there's a lot of realization from the general population that going into work isn't as productive as people um, think it is. There is a lot of I think, research out there that shows that like uh, short-term productivity increases when you're at home, but long-term productivity actually might be worse because you don't have the same water cooler chats that drive like different ideas. So I digress. So basically, like with with the nomad lifestyle, I mean... I, I sorry, my point with COVID was that um because of it, a lot of companies are now driving uh much more flexibility. So there's companies like Get Caussan that gives you like free access to coworking for like a hundred dollars a month across like a ton of different um places around the world. Much more affordable than we work, right? So there's a lot more alternatives that are coming out to help support like this flexible lifestyle. So uh it's a lot more feasible now for for some for people to do it. Um and a lot more companies are a lot are, you know. Shopify is getting rid of space in Toronto now. There there are a lot of people getting rid of their office space. So bring in the talent and bring in generation like Z and other like really strong talent that wants to be flexible. It's definitely businesses and and tech tools are much more conducive to this lifestyle now for sure.
1: Well, and I think the point where Gen Z is probably the most apt for flexibility, hybrid work, remote work, uh, because y'all have been connecting through technology and being productive through technology your entire lives. So the idea of, like that you have a best friend that lives in, let's say, Lisbon, and you have a best friend that lives in Paris, and you have a best friend that lives in Toronto, but y'all still connect on a regular basis, is not this strange concept to Gen Z. You're like, no, that's just how we've been doing it. And so you've bridged that into work as well in your Gen Generation. i'm a little i would say a little gen z in the fact that i like to be able to if i need to i could work from the moon um, i could work from paris i could work from my home in nashville uh, but i'm still getting my work done right um, no doubt in that so you've brought up some interesting points around things that have made it a little bit easier to be a digital nomad. Let's talk about, you know, what are some of the most rewarding aspects of being a digital nomad? And then what are some of the more challenging aspects? And you've been doing it probably a little longer than um, other people in your generation, but walk me through kind of like, this is an awesome experience for people that can make it happen. And then these are some of the harder things. And you've kind of, you've touched on it, but let's go into that.
2: So I'll start with the challenging one. Cause I also like, um, I've hired before, right? I've hired like Gen Zs and I've lived a remote style. So obviously like the people that work with me, like also live a remote style. And so maybe that's a different perspective from, from some of the other people that you've had. And I do think that for me, my biggest like concern with like that kind of stuff is that I need to be so much more aware of like people's energy on Zoom calls. Like, so if if, uh, if somebody is like kind of low energy and they're not feeling it, Asking them for updates and like pushing them like isn't going to uh you know push the needle forward it's not going to help you have to like go and like hold space for them you know kind of one-on-one outside um and which is something like that was kind of you know i never thought i'd be saying like oh i need to hold space for the people that i hire but it's you know it's like it's not something you just do with your friends now it's something you actually have to do with the people that are around you and the people that are building with you because that's the only way that you can drive motivation because i find that People like the company, people like the vision, people like that kind of stuff for only for so long, even pay, pay, the incentives for pay only last so long. It's really like the, the loyalties of the people around you and like the willing to, the the excitement to see everyone succeed. That's what makes it sustain kind of uh, engagement. And so but that's definitely was a challenge that, you know, I kind of had to learn the hard way and like, and how to manage like people's energy levels when even my own, like when I'm yeah, moving around so much.
1: So I know you you're operating a team um, without you know giving away the identities of your team members, where are they all based? because I'm always interested about um, kind of how remote teams are dispersed., um, so their majority, you know, depending on how many people you're working with because I would love to know like what are the time zones that you' all have to cross to get together?
2: i I'm lucky in the sense that mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them are from Toronto so a lot of them haven't really started they're kind of nomad maybe like one's not really into nomad lifestyle and then a couple other ones are like kind of coming out of school so you know it wasn't really i didn't really have to uh work with it within like a international team i do write like research papers for a company called water and music it's like this music tech company and so those ones are wild because like it's all like it's it's a DAO. it's a decentralized organization so there are people in sf and in new york and then i was in portugal so even that is like so hard to try to navigate like time um but i'm also of the mentality now where meetings are to assess people's energy levels and to like get them excited not to like you know provide updates i definitely was in the corporate office where like we would like have a whiteboard and somebody would want to whiteboard something and it would be an absolute waste of time you know for for me like i could send a voice note Instead of doing like a 30-minute meeting, I end up getting a lot better at like, you know, sharing updates. Obviously, I have flexibility because I run my own company. So if somebody doesn't want to talk to me, I'm happy to help on the phone. But for the most part, I can just be like, hey, this is kind of where we're at. You know, what about you? And, and move on. And then if there is a need for a bigger discussion with lots of people that needs context, then like, hey, like, let's hop on the bi-weekly sync. It's at that time. So you don't really need to set too much time. Uh, so the international time difference doesn't really matter.
1: So there's so many, I think, things that people, like there's so many, again, large companies, small companies, everything in the middle that are still like, how do we do this remote work and make sure everyone's productive? And maybe they need to just take a lesson from you in how to use your time and your team's time wisely. I think that's like so relevant to so many people. I was just very curious about where everybody's hanging out on your teams um, and how y'all are bridging that gap. And it sounds like you're doing a great job and making sure that people are fulfilled in their work, but that you're using your meetings for the thing that it actually matters. Okay, let's jump been, what are some of the more rewarding aspects? I mean, besides seeing the world and doing cool stuff about this digital nomad lifestyle?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like it's usually those little culture shocks. I like to usually go into places like less planning, more flexibility. So, you know, I've never been the type of traveler that's been like planning, planning, planning oriented. Um just enough to achieve like financial safety and then like I kind of let the rest go like I don't like I'll go to certain places that I think are cool, but I won't go to the main like tourist attractions. I'll talk to a lot of locals before like actually going to places. Um and it's usually through that, like through like just unexpected things that end up being like the most joyful. When I was in New York, like I ended up going to like this Russian bar that like the KGB used to like work out of. And so like that was like super neat um and like it was before like the war so like it was we're almost at the start of it so it was like super interesting to like feel the dynamic and i also went during the war which is also super interesting um but just those those things like that they're kind of like culture shocks you're like okay this is super neat it's interesting like for me like i I've definitely been looking for, like, a specific type of people that, you know, are building their own things, that are um, looking to improve the world through, like, disrupting financial rails and not just talking about it, but actually, like, applying, like, specific, um, you know, tech or or whatever it is to, like, do so. And, you know, those exist everywhere, right? It's not that they just, you know, they don't exist in Toronto. They do. I just wasn't in those circles. And so, like, a lot of this just happens by, you know, you start building, you start talking to people. and you don't do it to try to get something to get out of something from people. Cause I see that all the time is that like people come up to me and be like, Hey, like, you know, what do you do for work? Right. I guess like a terrible way to make a friend. Um, and so when you start making friends in different places and they introduce you to different things and then you start finding your communities and like for me and like Lisbon and like in Brooklyn, um, that's kind of when it starts to make a lot more sense. Um, Cause you're building roots with people that also are very kind of, you know travelers and that's like the the biggest thing i've realized is that you know, a lot of people like want to settle down like for example in toronto because they want to build roots so you hear that all the time i want to build roots so you know i'm going to stay i'm going to you know stay one place buy a house um and so on um uh, but what i'm realizing is that like there's a lot of people that are like you know between 25 to like 35 or however long that are building roots with other people in different places um, because the, how, 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 how you build your roots and how deep you get with someone is really based off the questions you ask, not the amount of time that you spend with someone.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting because if you, well, you don't really have a house that you stay at for too long, so you might not have house plants. Um, but you can always repot a plant, right? So if, is the idea of building your roots that you, are only stuck in one pot or are you allowed to take that pot and get a new pot somewhere else? Um, I think is the, yeah, the argument that, you know, you're looking at roots as like you have communities of people. And I really love that. I feel like I didn't mean to, uh, structure my like twenties to the point where I was moving all the time, but I was, I've lived in four States over 10 years. And when you do that, you find that you have four communities of people, just like you've developed communities of people wherever you've lived. And, and it's about how you go about that because you're so right. People just jump right into like, So what do you do for work? And I can tell you like confidently, uh, my, all of my closest friends, we very rarely talk about work. Like that's the whole point, right? Um, and so you want to find people that you share those values with, and sometimes it's not the the technical skills that you're able to provide that creates that shared value. So um, I really love that concept, and I think you're selling a lot of people on this idea that the digital nomad lifestyle is very fulfilling um, for those that want to aspire towards it or pursue it. What advice would you have for those that are interested in potentially pursuing a digital nomad lifestyle?
2: Honestly, like I find that especially with Gen Z, with, with Gen Zs like us, like it just ends up being a lot of, uh, you know, I'm not really passionate about it, and so like I need to go find something that I'm more driven for. Um, so my thing is always like, uh, go to Crunchbase, like go to Crunchbase, look up like the industry that you want to go in, see who's just raised, and see who has like an international team, and then you know go and like find LinkedIn, like go find people that like work there, talk to them, and then like you know find jobs within those types of companies um, because people who've just raised, they're absolutely hiring um, because they need to apply, you know, get more marketing, need to drive more growth. They need to do something. And so if you find like your right fit and you get like the right warm introduction, um, that's, I think how you can, you know, get to the financial safety and then also like start, you know, going around the world and, um, you know, working in different places. Like I have a friend that works in Barcelona and like, um, yeah. So it just gives you a lot more, freedom, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's great advice on how you can also take that stepping stone because I think um, people have a lot of identity in their work, right? Um, To say you're just going to walk away from something and then start something new is hard. Um, And I appreciate those really uh, tangible things that people can be doing to even just start exploring this. Um, but I also appreciate your financial responsibility message there. Um, Cause I certainly know that there are times when I'm like, that's it, we're going to sell everything and we're going to hit the road and we're just going to see what happens. <laughs> we can't do that uh, sometimes, especially when we are career people and have bills.
2: Yeah. And sometimes like I'm lucky, right. I have a safety net at home. Like I just came home because I'm to see my family, but if something went wrong, I could just come back home, you know, hang out with my dad. So like, You know, some people don't have that. Some people don't have that same type of luxury. So Mm -hmm. it's you just have to be very cognizant of your own financial safety. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So um, what before I ask you the last question, I've got one kind of quick one. Where are some of the places that you have lived uh, your digital nomad lifestyle? Where are some of the places? I know we've talked about Portugal and New York, but where are some other highlights for you um, in this, let's just say, roaming the globe and getting your work done at the same time?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've I think I've uh, I've definitely visited, um, you know, 40 plus countries like across Eastern Europe, Europe, Southeast Asia and all that kind of stuff. But I haven't li- I've lived in Lisbon. I lived in Barcelona for a few weeks. I lived in uh, Morocco for a few weeks um, and then New York for a few months. Um, for me, like the easier stepping stone was coming, going to somewhere like close. So like I went to New York first because like, oh, I think I might want to live there. I ended up being a nomad because like visas are a pain in the bum. Um, they suck. And they are so hard, like, even as a Canadian to try to get like an American, because I run my own company, I was like, try to get like an American visa. It's like, it's very expensive to even just apply. You know, I love the people in Brooklyn. I love the people in New York. I was like, this isn't really like make sense for me right now so maybe let's go try somewhere else Mm -hmm. uh and then i had a friend who invited me to morocco with a bunch of their friends and then i ended up going to to lisbon sometime time in barcelona um and then i'm probably gonna head back to lisbon but same thing right like i have i only can spend 90 days within a 180 day period Mm. and that i think would be a big challenge for if you're a nomad it's like to figure out the visas Mm -hmm. um and like what works and what doesn't all the specifications because I'm not a big fan of people that make people pay for information. So especially like these types of like immigration lawyers that charge you so much just for information. I, I'm not a fan and that's where like tools like chat GBT really help because you're like, Oh, the way I look at chat is like very much like Wikipedia back in the day. And you can use it to like try to source information, but do not like reference it. Do not like count on it as like your, your, your primary source of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a lot of the information, like I picked up so much information about visas that I've vetted with like immigration lawyers that it's so much easier now. So I don't have to like wait for people, wait for a lawyer to get back to me. I can just like make more conscious decisions based off of um, some of the information that I'm I'm getting.
1: Yeah. And that's so interesting. Um, Yeah. I wasn't even factoring in visas of like, that only gives you a very distinct amount of time, but it changes in every country. and so that puts kind of a new pressure to like figure out where's next. If you need to add anything to your list, I've heard that Thailand is actually very digital nomad friendly if you but might not be the easiest for, again, your time zones <laughs> because they're so far uh, ahead. but I've heard it's a really lovely place to d- digitally uh, live a nomadic life.
2: Yeah, I actually have a friend who just texted me that he's joining a, a fight club for a month in Thailand. Oh, well, um, and living there. There
1: you go. I mean, <laughs> I went for vacation, so I didn't join a fight club, but um, we did kind of meet some people when we were around, and they were like, "Yeah, I'm just like an expat living here, and it's really uh, traveler friendly. Obviously, tourism such a big part of their culture, but." Um, in terms of people that like kind of put down, let's say temporary roots for a little bit, it Thailand is supposed to be a really good place. So if you need a little humidity, mm-hmm. some beach and jungle, I put it high on the list. <laughs>
2: <It's not humidity. laughs>
1: you need a little humidity after being in Toronto. <laughs> okay. So my last question for you, and I ask everyone this because I think that's, you know, the whole point why we all come together is what is your favorite thing about your Gen Z peers?
2: It's funny until today, I actually, I know I'm, I, I'm definitely on the cusp of like Gen Z and millennial. So, um, I think with Gen Z's what I enjoy the most, I've actually never thought about this. (laughs) Um, I think it's the push to, um, find the people that they resonate with the most because i think with like millennials because maybe because like because i can talk about like both of them right so like with millennials it was kind of like a push like find my dream find my um i need purpose i need to find something that like makes a difference to the world um and that's a very overwhelming and anxious driven mentality in my opinion um trying to find your purpose and trying to do that so You know, it was. It's interesting to see like the difference with Gen Zs. That's more like I want to find a place where I am excited to go, where I like the people around me, I like the vibe, I like the energy, um, which is much different than like I want to change the world. And, And yes, you have like you know some people that also like I want to change the world and stuff like that. But overall, that's like that's the difference that I'm seeing between millennials and Gen Zs. And I think that approach is just so much healthier. There's just so much information and stuff out there. It's so easy to get overwhelmed with as a Gen Z. So being able to take a step back and be like, you know, I just want something that gives me good energy and good vibes. Yeah, that's that's I uh, that's awesome.
1: I I can kind of see both of those things, right? Like it's I don't think that Gen Z's not living a purpose driven life, but I think the quest for a singular purpose is where millennials and Gen Z might just like we might take two different roads and not in a bad way, but I think Gen Z still has like a mindset of living a purposeful life, but they might have multiple purposes and that's okay. Um, But I I do absolutely agree with you. Like this idea of um, connection with other people on this values-based, like who are you innately as a person is uh, I think a conversation that many, Gen Z, whether they cognitively or just by practice and osmosis of others around them, um, have that conversational earlier in life that I think previous generations have. Like it's, it's something that I think everyone eventually wakes up and says, like, this is what I value and this is what I want out of life, and I want to surround people that are like that with around me. Um, and I think that for maybe other generations, it wasn't as present at the age that Gen Z is doing that. So I can agree. I do observe that uh, among you and your Gen Z peers. But Harrison, thank you so much for spending some time sharing a, a little bit about your work structure. Some people would say it's unique, but I actually think it's actually a, a very good example and archetype of things that Gen Z is looking for in their future careers is this idea of flexibility and experience and depth of connection. So. connection. Thank you for spending time with us. However, if people, yeah, of course. However, if people wanted to follow along with your work or stay up to Mm. date with your travels, what's the best way um, and your preferred way that people can connect with you?
2: Oh, I don't normally have people following me. So (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't, I definitely don't use LinkedIn. Um, I actually don't know many people that use LinkedIn anymore. um, And that's actually probably a good thing to know. But uh, Twitter, I think might be the best. I think it's like at Harrison Lee six, six, three or something. Um, yeah. That, that's probably be the best way to just stay. Even like DM me if you have questions, I'm open to like chatting. Um, Wonderful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, Harrison, thank you so much for your time. Um, I hope you enjoy your time back with your family for however long you're here. And I'm excited to hear where, where next you go in the world and, and take your work, but thank you again. Another thank you to Harrison for joining me in this episode to share about his story and experiences as he navigated the digital nomad lifestyle. The world is a great big place and Gen Z is not waiting to see it. While the mindset of working to retire and then traveling might have appealed to older generations, Gen Z isn't banking on that. They're looking to integrate flexibility and balance into their life, whether they are digital nomads or not. As we see remote work grow and evolve, we can anticipate more Gen Zers and workers in general taking to new lands to see the world and still knocking out the items on their to-do list. We'll continue to explore what Gen Z wants in their careers in the upcoming episodes with some fantastic guests, so definitely stay tuned. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe so you can get notified when new episodes become available. And while you're at it, share this episode with a friend or colleague. This is a more the merrier kind of podcast. As always, you can reach out with suggestions for topics and guests that you want to learn more from and about. I can be reached on my website, meganmgrace.com. You can also find me on Instagram, threads, and LinkedIn at Grace. This episode was produced by me, Megan Grace, and edited by Leah Kramer. Thank you again for stopping by for this episode. We'll continue this conversation. We'll chat soon.
0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc
0: Crispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.